Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Kratom Guy Show. I'm your host, Mike Overstreet, the Boston Kratom Guy. Welcome back to episode number nine. So excited. Got such a great show in store for you today. Not only because we have Dr. Uma Danabala on the show, and next week's show, we got Nick White is on the show, owner-operator of Flux Odyssey. We'll get to those preview clips in just a second. But the reason why I am so excited is we just got our first sponsor on the show. That's right. The Kratom Guy Show is now sponsored by Candid Orange Flavored Kratom. Guys, I get a lot of samples sent to me since starting the show, and I don't usually talk about any of them, or hardly any of them. And you guys know if you've been listening to the show for a little while, I only talk about products we know, love, and trust. So when a representative from Candid sent me, uh, wanted to send me the orange-flavored Kratom, I said okay, and I would try it. And I tried it, and I really liked it. So when I told them that I really liked it, they said they want to sponsor the show. We are so excited and proud to have Candid Flavored Kratom as our first sponsor. So let me tell you guys about Candid. They are revolutionizing the Kratom industry, Kratom extracts, with their orange flavored drink. And the reason why I say they're revolutionizing the industry is because, one... The drink just tastes great. It's uh, it's orange flavored. It comes in this little pouch. Super discreet, easy to use. It was a little sweet, but it's sweetened with stevia, which I like that. And I was able to judge how much how much I wanted. So I wanted a stronger drink. So I just used a little bit less water, put it in a water bottle, shook it up, and drank that. But I really like that if you wanted less just use more water and then you can sip it throughout the day so if you guys don't see candid orange flavored kratom at your favorite retailer make sure you tell them that you want candid flavored kratom so i can't just i can't say enough good things about uh candid and they are sponsoring today's show so today is brought to you by candid orange flavored kratom and one of the great things about this uh candid flavored kratom sponsor deal is that we are actually going to be giving away some of this uh some of their product so stay tuned for later on in the show we are going to have a giveaway for two lucky people it's also brought to you by mass herbal market massherbalmarket.com there's some great t-shirts and kratom over there awesome kratom direct from the source of indonesia we also have our patreon up Patreon.com slash Kratom Guy Show. And with your help, we actually have an anonymous donor who's going to help send me to Maryland for the February 4th um, house bill. It's coming up to try to schedule Kratom. It's, it's Kratom 1. And we'll get more into that uh, during the Kratom news and current events. They're, they're willing to match one... Uh, one to one. So I need to raise four hundred fifty dollars to get me to Maryland to go cover the story and go testify. And what we are really 
able to do with these sponsors, these new sponsors and uh, the Patreon, is we are going to be expanding the work in from just covering uh, news current events, but to actually do on-the-ground reporting and investigative journalism. So if you want to support what we're doing, be able to expand what we're doing, buy and upgrade equipment, and get on the ground, actually do some FOIA requests to find out you know, what all this anti-Kratom legislation, where it's coming from, and who's behind it. Uh, support us any way you can by uh, visiting Mass Herbal Market or the Patreon. Um, and definitely check out uh, Candid Orange Flavored Kratom. It was, uh, it's a great drink and can't say enough good things about, about the, uh, the company and the reps I spoke to. So like I mentioned in the beginning, we got Dr. Uma, Dr. Uma Danabala, a world-renowned cannabis doctor, physician, international speaker. Dr. Uma is going to be on this show. This is why I'm very adamant when I say that cannabis is not for everyone. Yet, when we hear the word cannabis, I believe it should be a first-line option. It should be part of that. You make the diagnosis and you say, you've got cancer, and, and cannabis should be included in your treatment protocol. When we use cannabis with cancer, it's specifically targeting the healthy, not the healthy self, but targeting to make sure that the impact is on that cancer self. I want to make that clear. Targeting cancer self and not the healthy self. It's protecting them. So it affects on the cancer self in four very specific ways. Number one, it does not let the cancer self multiply and cause proliferation. Number two, does not let the cancer cells spread anti-metastatic. Number three, does not allow continued blood supply to the cancer cell. Cuts it off. Anti-agenesis. Number four, it says you need to die. Apoptosis. Cells death. And so to reiterate the four properties, it's anti-proliferation, anti-metastatic, anti-agenesis and apoptosis and specifically working on the cancer cell. That was such a fun interview. I can't wait till you guys hear it. And next week's show is Nick White, owner, operator of Flux Odyssey. They got their uh, golden hour, uh, really cool product. Nick has become a friend. He lives here in Massachusetts. Nick White is going to be on next week's show. The reason I took Kratom, I was taking it at, at, at low doses um, as a stimulant. As, as your listeners may or may not know, uh, Kratom is sort of related to coffee. And at lower doses, it um, basically is dopaminergic. So ADD, um, one of the features is that you have uh, decreased dopamine in your uh, frontal lobe, your prefrontal cortex. And that's where your brain is doing uh, what are called uh, executive actions. So any sort of decision-making, especially focusing on a particular task, happens there. Mm -hmm. And since if you have a lack of dopamine there, it makes it really hard to focus. So one of the great effects I got out of Kratom was that um, it was sort of like coffee for me. I would go to the, the Noble Kava, which is the name of the Kava bar in, in Asheville, and and take a, uh, a white vein or a mangda and suddenly homework that I wasn't interested in or not able to, 
to focus on because I was procrastinating so much. I was like, oh, this is a breeze. Of course I can do, you know, synthesis of whatever these compounds are. It was organic chemistry. I don't know, but. So first, as always, a big thank you to you, the listener. Without you guys, uh, none of this would be possible. So thank you so much, and thank you to all my local customers that have been purchasing Kratom, buying T-shirts, you guys are awesome. One person that I always forget to, I never forget, but I don't mention is big thank you to Helen, my wife. She does so much behind the scenes. And I always say without you guys, it wouldn't be possible. But without her, none of this would be possible. So she's actually going to be on the show um, maybe a couple episodes from now. But with this new sponsor, with Candid Orange Flavored Kratom, we are able to... I'm a professional podcaster now. I'm getting paid to podcast. It takes hours and hours of homework and research to get these shows together, edit them, record them, and then publish. And this is going to enable us to actually devote more time to the show and really hope get more sponsors so we can expand our work to really fight for Kratom and fight for what's right. So we've got a lot to get through to, for the news this week. We actually do have an update from uh, activist and advocate in Maryland, Chris Redding, because he was there at the House Judiciary Committee for Senate Bill 147. So I have an update from him. we got the other Maryland House Bill 283 is coming up. Uh, talk about that February 4th. I'm going to try to get there. Got uh, the AKA from update about both of those and then we also have bills in missouri mississippi uh all of them to schedule one schedule kratom and schedule one controlled substance and oregon is looks like they're enacting the kratom consumer protection act um had a great article on wired dr mark swagger which we're going to try to have him on the show great article about uh kratom which he was featured in and then Vermont. In Vermont, we got a bill to decriminalize psychedelics and Kratom, which is actually a politician introduced that. So uh, that's really cool. So we'll have all that and more with Kratom news and current events. And this would be a good time for a small disclaimer that neither myself nor any of my guests are medical professionals. Nothing we say should be considered medical advice. And you should always seek the advice of a physician or medical professional before taking anything. Any copyrighted material is used under fair use for education or criticism. Enjoy the show. Pretty much the beginning was was the business update. Uh, Masterable Market is up. That's our site. We're going to be adding more shirts, more products. And Square just shut us down. We weren't even using Square to sell Kratom. All it took is selling our first t-shirt on there and using Square, and they shut us down. So right now, you can you can check out with uh, wire transfer. So it's actually really easy. Instead of entering your credit card number, uh, expiration date, and the CVV number, you check out. I'm going to make a little uh, screenshot, uh, screencast video to show you. So at checkout, you just choose wire transfer, and then... 
you it gives you the total and you'll get an email uh, with your invoice and then you just transfer it from your bank. Uh, usually Zelle or any bank will, will transfer it really easy. So it uh, usually t- takes a couple of days and as soon as we get payment, we, we send it out. Also with this sponsorship, it's just going to enable us to do more shows. So we're really hoping to do a show every week or every other week. So definitely look out for that. And I'm super excited to go down to Maryland on February 4th. I think that about does it for what's going on with me and my business. It's just, it's, it's really humbling and exciting uh, to be able to get this sponsorship. It's going to enable us to do a lot more work. And yeah, if you support the show, you don't have to buy anything. Please like, share, subscribe. And if someone's talking about Kratom, just suggest the show. And if you want to talk Kratom, 617-917-5242. That's my number. That goes to me directly. So if you ever want to discuss Kratom, you're new to Kratom, you don't have to buy from me. I am always happy to talk Kratom with you. We got a lot to get through for news this week. And then we got, and I'm going to try to breeze right through that and get to the Dr. Uma Uh, interview because that was great so we just had senate bill 0147 in maryland that uh the turnout was great for that and we actually got a special clip uh chris redding he was their uh activist and uh advocate from maryland he was there to testify in front of the the senate judiciary committee so uh here is his testimony uh, good afternoon. Um, my name is Chris Redding. I'm 43 years old. Uh, I've been married for 19 years and have two uh, teenage children. I'm an Army veteran. Uh, I was awarded the Bronze Star during Operation Iraqi Freedom. I have an MBA and I've been employed as a financial analyst since leaving the active duty in 2003. Except for my military service, I've lived in Maryland my whole life. I strongly oppose Maryland Senate Bill 147 that will make me a criminal for consuming a tea leaf. In order to stay active, I currently train and participate in triathlons. I have completed 12 triathlons, all in the great state of Maryland. I have found that Kratom helps with some of the aches and pains caused by training, as well as providing a stimulating effect similar to a nice cup of coffee. In fact, during the Eagle Man Half Ironman, during the 56-mile bike ride, prior to the 13-mile run, I consumed Kratom to push through some fatigue. Um, Kratom's ability to, to address the various aches and pains I get from training has had a very positive impact on my quality of life. However, that's not why I'm here today. Um, the military value of fighting for the person to the left and the right of you and the people behind me, that's why I'm testifying. I've met countless people whose lives have been turned around fighting Kratom. There are over 23,000 positive public comments, comments in response to the proposed, proposed federal ban. Story after story of how Kratom has made people's lives better by helping them get off prescription drugs, heroin, or Kratom just increasing their quality of life. After strong opposition from the scientific community, the public, and elected representatives, the DA halted its pursuit of a ban. Over the last few years, the community has pushed strong for the Kratom Consumer Protection Act that will allow consumers to be able to keep buying Kratom legally while also helping to ban the sale of dangerous and alterated products. To pursue a ban at this point is not aligned with current research or available evidence. I strongly recommend that we the Maryland pursues the Kratom Consumer Protection Act as a more viable option for Maryland. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much for your testimony, and sir, uh, thank you for your service. I think you have one question here from Senator Cassley. 
So, so how often do you use this? How often do you take it? It varies. I'm about to start training for uh, Rock Hall mm -hmm. Triathlon in, in, in May, uh, the end of May. So during a training uh, cycle, I, I use it probably daily. I've been practicing using it during the, during the bike ride just to and, and getting a feel for what it'll. So when you're taking it daily, how often do you take it? I mean, it's like three twice, times a day, twice, twice, a, twice a day. Twice take a day. about two to four grams. Right. And the impact mentally, you said, was like a strong uh, cup of coffee, or stimulating like a, a good cup of coffee. I say good cup of coffee because I've been doing triathlons for a while and, and, and running, and I've taken some some pre-workout supplements mm. that give you a, a jitter or a uh, I call it monkey mind, where the, mm. your mind jumps around. Kratos not like that. It's a nice, uh, clean energy. There's no crash or anything like that. Mm. So it's it's been. And, and what about negative physiological effects, any that you've noticed? Uh, I get a physical every year. My liver's good to go. I mean, I could probably lose a few pounds, but other than that, uh, no, no effects physically that I've seen. Thanks. Appreciate it. And then I actually had a chance to talk with Chris. After he went, I got in touch with him and had this quick call with him. So, guys, as you do know that uh, this Tuesday, this past Tuesday, was the Maryland uh, Judiciary Committee meeting on scheduling Kratom as Schedule 1. And we do have uh, Chris Redding on the phone. I, I did an interview with him. Uh, that's part of the all the interviews I'm doing right now at the beginning of the month. Uh, so that's going to be probably in a couple weeks that we're going to have his full interview. But he was gracious enough to come back on the show to give us a rundown. He he gave, he gave his testimonial along with dozens dozens of other uh, kratom consumers. Uh, so Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me again, Mike. You want to just my my main goal of this is not to only kind of kind of provide current events and, and say what's happening, but I really want to try to get more people there. So if you want to give kind of the rundown of what the day was like, what time you showed up, what you had to do, and then go into kind of your, your testimony. A little bit stressful to, uh, to you know, take the plunge to, to set, set your mind that you're going to go down there and testify. So you have to get there between 9 and 12, and you have to sign up on this, this computer screen. And there's, there's people there to help you to sign up. So you just have to sign up on this interface and tell them you want to testify either give a oral testimony or a written testimony. And you have to do it between 9 and 12. This computer's actually shut off at 12. Okay. So, and so you have to get there between 9 and 12. And then uh, there's the hearing started at 1, I believe, and then it's variable depending on how many bills are before you and how long they last when you'll go. So we, a bunch of us just sat outside the, the committee room for almost an hour waiting for our bill to come up. And the other two bills before us, I think we had very minimal uh, testimony. Uh, the one bill before us had like two people. So we definitely filled the room. I, mean, I heard when we were sitting out there, people were kind of whispering, like, what are all these people here for? <laughs> so it's it definitely a showing. But And then you get two minutes, and something that you kind of have to work on, because you know, two minutes goes very quick. And right. you don't realize how quick it goes. So definitely practice your testimonial. Get what you want to get in in two minutes. Um, and then I kind of, I kind of wish I was, I was going to adjust my testimony based on what the sponsor said in his opening remarks, but I felt like if I did that, I wouldn't have rehearsed it. So I was thinking maybe when I go in, if I go, you know, I'm going, I'm planning to go in on the fourth is to more address directly some of the claims that 
have been made to to bang kratom, specifically the psychosis and hallucinations and the death claims. So these were two things that the sponsor um, in the Senate had uh, emphasized when he proposed the, the bill. So, yeah, that's my main advice. Get there. Get there early. Get there early. You can sign up, and then you can, you know, hang out in Annapolis and just practice the two minutes. Yeah, and I, I definitely would agree. Yeah, so February 4th is the next committee meeting. It's open testimony. Do you know if it's just for Maryland residents or anybody can show up? Uh, anybody can show up. I mean, obviously, if you're a Maryland resident, you have more weight because you vote for the people that are listening to your uh, testimony. But there was an individual from Philadelphia there, two individuals, I think, from Philadelphia. But I think everybody else was a Maryland resident. There was one, yeah, she's a Maryland resident, too. There was Elisa Lowe, who's with the Heroin Addiction Coalition, that, that testified. And I believe she's a Maryland resident, too. But no, open to everybody, but obviously, Maryland residents have more weight. Gotcha. And it, it's it was, like I said, we filled the room up. So, I mean, intimidation is not the right word, but it's to show the support is very, um, very favorable, too. You got, I mean, that, that this people actually took time of their day. This means this much to them to show up and even just sit in a chair. I mean, there was a couple of people there just supporting and not testifying, and that, that speaks volumes. Um, do you want to talk about, like, what you talked about? I know you said that you wish you kind of adjusted it to what the senator was saying, but a- anything that, you know, maybe you said or didn't say or, you know, kind of just walk us through what you said? Well, I mean, I just, like, it's kind of hard like, through my whole experience with creating I'm not, you know, I'm not, I've never been addicted to opioids or I've had heroin problems or I'm not a chronic pain patient. I just use it as a sports supplement. So I always feel like, I mean, people in this community are very friendly and accepting, but I've always feel like, you know, this, I'm not really part of the community in that sense. I just, you know, take to relieve the aches and pains. So my testimony is not stirring in that way, you know, like, oh, this saved his life or anything like that. So I, I should have, like I said, pivoted and talked more directly to what the state senator, uh, Young, who's the sponsor of the bill, said in his opening remarks to support the bill. Um, like I said, he talked about, you know, some of the health effects and he talked about, he's, he made the claim that 152 reported deaths, but then he immediately caveat that with two thirds of them involved other substances. And then he further backed off and said, well, you know, only seven, uh, Kratom was the only substance found. And it was kind of, even in his, I mean, he started off really, you know, pushing the bill in his testimony, but then toward the end, you seem to actually kind of pivot to like we need to just put regulations in place. So kind of, just listening to him, the opening remarks, he kind of already had in his mind that maybe a ban is not the way to go. That this uh, Kratom Consumer Protection Act is more a viable option. Right. So yeah. So and it was kind of funny. He and I still. This is the question I've had: is what drove him to propose this ban? He said that he had two witnesses approach him about Kratom. And neither one of them were there. He said one of them could not testify because they were in court on a Kratom-related case. Uh, it wasn't very clear what that would even be. He said it was something domestic. I don't, I have no idea. It's kind of funny. If you want, when you watch, if you watch the video, you can see me in the background when he says that to turn into a person next to me. You're like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> and then he said the other witness provided a written testimony. But it still, it just still baffles me that somebody would propose a ban based on what he heard from two witnesses. But he might hear these two witnesses and then he went on Google and found some stuff. So I don't know. But he seemed very, very open 
to the Creating Consumer Protection Act. So consider it was a, it was a win for the day, just people coming out, showing support. We were talking about in, in our interview that's going to be in a couple of weeks. You know, I, I wish that either myself or another organization had the money to be doing this FOIA request to see how this even kicked off, because a lot of us have a feeling it was just the FDA. Well, just the FDA reaching out to state senators or, or people at local districts and telling them to introduce something? Yeah, because you could you could tell this wasn't their bill. Like somebody else wrote yeah. this wrote this bill and gave it to them. He even said that at the end. That's, yeah, that's very true. He didn't. It didn't seem like it was his baby. You know, it didn't seem like he was proud of it or like really overly supported it. So I don't know if he was like taken aback by how much pushback it was when he introduced it. But yeah, he didn't. He didn't seem to be fighting for it. And he immediately, like I said, he immediately pivoted even during his testimony to be like, this probably isn't a good idea to ban this. This is something that should be regulated, yes, but a ban does not seem like a viable option. The the biggest shocking moment I had was at the end when he said this. For the class and professionalism in, in presenting your case, and I think you presented it very well. Um, this bill was brought to me, and I, I still have some concerns, but, you know, I do think it should be banned from minors till we know more about it. Uh, but you all have made a great case. I've, I've got arthritis in my knees. You make me want to go out and try it. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I think he was definitely playing the room. He knew he was one versus many, so I mean, he is a politician. But, yeah, it was – I mean, the, the testimony obviously swayed him a lot. And, I mean – it's one thing to, to read something on paper or, you know, in a comment section on Facebook or, you know, see a tweet, but to actually hear people talk and when their voice breaks, when they're talking about their personal experience and how this has saved their life or improved family members' lives, I mean, it is moving. And it's, I mean, yeah, there's, there's and I've said since, you know, I've followed the story for years, I mean, you can't read these stories and see these people and meet these people and then thinking banning this is a good idea. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane to put a personal face on this issue is, is invaluable. So yeah, I strongly encourage people to show up to the fourth, even if you just want to sit in the back, you know, I mean, if you don't feel comfortable testimony, uh, giving your testimony, just, just sit in the room, you know, your, your presence is enough. Yeah, that was uh definitely powerful stuff. Any other advice you could give anybody that's planning on showing up on the 4th? I know you said get there early, make sure you fill it out. Uh, I read with the AKA, they said that you have to submit your written, written testimony ahead of time, which if I did that, I'd probably end up changing it after I submitted it. Uh, but anything you could you could tell people that are maybe on the fence of showing up or they are going to show up? I mean, just everybody's, I think, everybody's nervous. And you, it doesn't really show as much as you think it will. Just practice so you're not as nervous and just speak from the heart. And, I mean, I, I read a lot off my paper, which I tried not to do, but I did. But, yeah, mm -hmm. just get your words out. Get your stories out. I mean, people want to hear what you have to say. So just – and it's two minutes. Two minutes goes so quick, which is a good thing and a bad thing. So just – I mean, yeah. All the time that people put into advocacy work and research and what this creative means to people, just sacrifice the two minutes to stand up in public speak. 
That's great. So, yeah, please, if you're in the area or anywhere close, maybe we can set up caravans or stuff so people can show up. Uh, Chris, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. So, again, big thanks to Chris uh, for coming on the show and, and going to Maryland. So I really want to try to go to uh, Maryland to cover the story for February 4th and testify in front of the House Judiciary Committee because they have a House bill and a Senate bill. That's what I see a lot of these states are doing. Uh, we get into that in a little bit. But usually when there's a House bill, there's a Senate bill right along with it, I guess is the, the new cool thing to do. I want to go and I want to talk about... Uh, the penalties and how terrible the drug prohibition has been, uh, how it's always the wrong answer. It just hurts people. And I really want to get into the fundamentals of prohibition and driving it to the black market and banning things and putting people in harm's way. And in lieu of the open market, it looks like the Creative Consumer Protection Act is going to be the way to go uh, instead of them putting it as Schedule 1. Because here's the deal. Schedule 1, like the penalties, let's see. The penalty, it doesn't really make it clear. All the bill says is we're going to add this to Schedule 1. Schedule 1, they have a different amount for all these other drugs. What happens if you get caught with it? What happens if you get selling it? But the lowest uh, thing for... The lowest penalty for class one, for schedule one, is 10 years or a fine not exceeding $10,000 are both. So that means it, it would turn all these people into criminals. So that's what I really want to talk about. And then if you start getting into the uh, the drug kingpin status, in that section it lays out how much it takes to be labeled as a drug kingpin of all these different substances like meth and heroin, but it, it doesn't it doesn't lay out the penalty for Kratom. And if you start getting into drug kingpin status, and would that make me a kingpin if I was in Maryland because I have kilos of Kratom? You get into mandatory minimums where it actually says in the penalty that if you were considered a drug kingpin, a judge cannot waive these mandatory minimums. And you would not be eligible for parole, and a court may not suspend any part of the mandatory minimum sentence of 20 years. So the minimum you could get for kingpin status is 20 years. Of the subtitle, is guilty of a felony and on conviction is subject to imprisonment for not less than 20 years and not exceeding 40 years without the possibility of parole or a fine not exceeding $1 million or both. So that's what I that's what I want to talk about. And of course, I'll have it all written out and I got to breeze through it for three minutes, but I want to be there. So hopefully we, we raise enough money on the Patreon. I just put it up, patreon.com slash Kratom Guy Show to get me there to cover the story. I would like to get all over the country because what I've noticed and what we need and I'm willing to take up um, the reins and do it is we need somebody doing the FOIA request we need somebody doing on the ground reporting we need somebody asking politicians hard questions that's actually going to be questioning the politicians and where they're getting these policies from who's drafting these bills because it seems like these delegates and these senators uh, these house reps they have no idea where these bills are coming through what Kratom is or what's in it so who's feeding it then to them 
We want to do the FOIA request. We want to find out. So please, if you want to support independent reporting, investigative journalism, please consider being a contributor on the Patreon. Time for creative news and current events. Overall, it seemed like it went really well in Maryland this past Tuesday. Uh, We got this update from the American Kratom Association, update on Maryland Kratom Bill SB0147 and HB0283. From Mac Haddow, the senior fellow on public policy, it was my honor and privilege to stand with more than two dozen Kratom advocates before the Maryland Senate Judiciary Committee. And it really was something really great to, to see. I watched the whole live stream. I'll have that link down below. Uh, all these people coming up there um, and giving their testimony. And it really seemed like um, that the senators were listening. So we just hope the House does the same. They seem really receptive to the Creative Consumer Protection Act. Maryland Senate Judiciary Proceedings Committee today and fight the proposed ban on Kratom. I have personally participated in dozens of hearings on Kratom across the country and hundreds of similar hearings both at the federal and state levels spanning the last 40 years of my advocacy career. And I have to say that I've never witnessed something as extraordinary as what transpired today in Maryland. And it goes on just to uh, talk about the SB 0147 and how Senator Young was really receptive, listened, and was respectful of all the consumers giving testimony. And it goes on to say that second and equally surprising was that I was stopped in the hallway after the hearing by Representative Ken Kerr. Now, the House, the House sponsor of the Kratom ban legislation. Representative Kerr stated that he was moved by the testimony and asked for more information on available science on Kratom and specific language for the Kratom Consumer Protection Act. So that's really important because this bill that just happened that Chris was at uh, was for Senator Young, and this next one is the Representative Kerr, along with a bunch of co-sponsors. So what I would really like to do, it goes on to say that uh, the next hearing will be February 4th. So what I really want to do is get there February 3rd, have a lobby day where we go around and drop off paperwork to all the, the delegates, see if any of them or their aides will talk to us. There's seven. There's seven delegates. So I'd like to go to their offices, drop off the paperwork, see if any of them will talk to us. And then February 4th, 1 p.m., that's a Tuesday, is going to be the the next uh, House Judiciary Committee in Room 100 of the Office House Building in Annapolis, Maryland. Definitely check out the article because it goes into guidelines. What time you need to be there is uh, 9 a.m. and sign up on the computer. And from what I'm getting, I'm not going to read it all. You get three minutes, so definitely practice and breeze through it. I, and that you must have a hard copy of your testimony and an electric one on a thumb drive. So you have to, when you go there, you have to have both a hard drive and the one on the thumb drive. So signups are between 9 a.m. and 12. And you have to submit your, your hard copy and then take the thumb drive, put it on the first computer that makes sure there's no viruses on it, and then bring it over to the second computer and upload it to their system. What I want to do is get there really early before 9, so I can sign up right at 9, and then 
you know, maybe the night before or that morning, meet up with some of the other Kratom consumers that are going to be giving their testimony and work each other's uh, testimonies with each other and, you know, go over it, help each other with, with our given, uh, with our written testimonies. So maybe we could cover different things. So I did find a couple of links that I'll put down in the description because you really have to do some digging on the original Their Controlled Substance Act in Maryland. The Schedule 1 is reserved for heroin, marijuana, ecstasy, and LSD, which just ridiculous that marijuana is on there. But I was wrong when I said meth earlier. Uh, meth and morphine, cocaine are Schedule 2. So effectively... And they, I know why they lump it in to Schedule 1 because it hasn't been approved food before, but it's been used for centuries in Southeast Asia. And then all the other prescription ones, Ritalin, uh, Opium, Vicodin, Schedule 2, Meth, though. They're saying Kratom's worth the, <laughs> is worse than uh, Meth or Coke. And then I got Schedule schedule 3, Anabolic Steroids, Ketamine, Marinol, which isn't that the uh, synthetic THC pill? And then it goes on to schedule. But what I, what I was doing the research on for the show was uh, Schedule 1 penalties. So, but then going through the list here, possession or attempt to obtain. So if you just try to buy Kratom, what they'll say, first time, no previous convictions, Schedule 1 through 5 is a misdemeanor $25,000 maximum and four-year maximum in jail. And then I guess judging on the quantity of it, uh, schedule one felony charge is maximum of $25,000 and maximum of 20 years in jail. Remember, Maryland says or both. Prior conviction is $100,000 maximum and 10-year minimum. So if you got caught with a Schedule 1 substance years ago that you're now using Kratom, so you don't have to do that and it makes your life better, you could be jailed for minimum 10 years. So if you're trying to do the right thing and they catch you with Kratom, if this bill passes, I really hope it's not going to, and I don't think it will, just uh, judging by the uh, the reps' um, responses. But I would love to be able to do FOIA requests, find out who these people were, the, the two witnesses that they said. Hopefully it's going to show up because uh, the senator said, oh, my witnesses aren't here, they couldn't show up. Yeah, and here it is, the uh, the kingpin status. Organize, supervise, finance, manage, or conspire to manufacture, distribute, dispense, transport, or import. So all you Kratom importers, anyone selling Kratom, if you're organizing some type of Kratom business in Maryland, if this were to pass, you would be a felon, $1 million maximum, 20-year minimum, 40-year max. This doesn't seem correct for trying to drink tea in your own house, and it's crazy. I don't... I don't understand why they, um, why we, why they swear to protect and defend the Constitution. It doesn't make any sense. There's no clause in there that says, in the Fourth Amendment, the right of the people to be secure in their per- person's papers and effects, houses, persons, papers and effects. But if they have drugs in their, if they have drugs in their house, or in their system, then fuck them. We will definitely come in their house with automatic weapons, kick in their fucking doors at 4 a.m., drag them out. They try to resist, kill them, kidnap them, take them to jail, and let them suffer. Steal some money from them because you do drugs. Now you owe the state money. I'm going to be much more eloquent February 4th, but, man, this, this shit doesn't make any sense. So we also have Missouri. 
Missouri Senate Bill 765. I couldn't find much about Missouri or Mississippi besides they're doing it. I don't know. If you know, please let me know. Tag me on Twitter or get in touch with me. I'd like to put it out there because I want to see other states organize as much as Maryland has. Senate Bill 765 uh, basically says the same thing as Maryland, is that they are going to be replacing the current Schedule 1 schedule uh, to include Kratom. And then we got in Mississippi, Senate Bill 2084, which is doing the same thing. And we all think this is the FDA. Pretty confident it is. But I'd really like to get to the bottom of who's putting these bills through each state and why. Because it's the same bills over and over. But Mississippi has had an attack on Kratom from the Louds County Drug Task Force. Maybe I can get one of those guys on my show. See if they'll talk to me. These are the guys that said, oh, there was a store where um, some lady was trying to hawk her TV, bring it as a punch-up because she needed her fix. She needed her Kratom fix. And she ended up uh, running up like over $1,000 debt with this store. And um, another one where, of course, it was somebody that said somebody else was doing it, that uh, she saw her husband spending $800 a week on, on Kratom. And they said they have the proof. They said they have the book. So I would like to do FOIA request to to them to figure out where this all started with them and all this proof that they have because I've never seen anything. So if you have any information on Mississippi or Missouri, please let me know so we can get it out there. And this week we actually have some good news for for a change. Uh, that Maryland meeting went really well, and uh, hopefully that'll be more good news out of Maryland and uh, Mississippi and Missouri. We really got to stop these these states from um, passing these these terrible kratom bills. Uh, but out of Oregon, they are adopting the Kratom Consumer Protection Act or something like it. It seems so. That's really good news. They got age restrictions and make sure it's uh, legit kratom and no adulterates. So it's actually a really good article in Wired magazine. And the title, Release the Kratom, Inside America's Hottest New Drug Culture, is a really shitty title in my point of view. Don't want, like, a drug culture sounds like uh, like like a rave or something. Or what they made, tried to make the raves seem like back in the day. But overall, it was really positive, talking about the different uses of Kratom and how um, somebody has used it to get their life back and now she sells Kratom in uh, Oregon. So as you guys know, we are always looking to improve at the Kratom Guy Show. And this Dr. Uma interview is the the last one that I had to record on the speakerphone. So the audio may be a little bit poor, but we really appreciate you guys for uh, listening and tuning in despite the audio. And then the second half of the news, I was also having little audio issues, but I think it's good enough where I'm going to turn up the volume and I don't have to re-record it. So uh, yeah, let's get into the second part of the news. we got some Kratom good news and then the Dr. Uma interview. So I actually just saw this late last night that Missouri is actually doing the Kratom Consumer Protection Act. It was really hard to find more information on Missouri and Mississippi, but it looks like Missouri is going to be enacting the Kratom Consumer Protection Act along with uh, Oregon. So that's that's really good news. Getting into this Wired, mag- uh, Wired article, it's mainly about this story uh, about a woman named Faith Day who was uh, one time 
So she was fresh out of jail, but homeless, and she was addicted to a substance now too legally compromising to name. My guess uh, would be oxycodone, uh, or oxycodone, terrible, terrible drug that I was once myself and millions of other people had been addicted to, and I'm so glad to be free from that and uh, consuming kratom to uh, really help with my with my symptoms. So. You know, I'm not going to get into the full article, but there are a couple of things, especially here. Uh, we got Dr. Mark Swagger was featured in the article. He's done a lot of work for, for Kratom. So what wasn't in the article, but I just recently saw from Dr. Mark Swagger's tweets is that he said, we have published three peer-reviewed studies addressing Kratom psychosis, one being a review of 13 other peer-reviewed studies. There is yet no credible evidence for kratom psychosis. The 1975 data suggestion, suggesting otherwise has been misinterpreted. And I have been in talks with uh, Dr. Swagger, and he is planning on coming on the show, so be on the lookout for that interview. Uh, overall, it's a really great um, article about how many people are um, consuming kratom to, to help get off of opiates and um, other drugs. And overall, it's it's really great how this woman, Faith Day, is, is selling uh, quality Kratom. The article says that Day is one of only two Kratom businesses licensed by the Department of Agriculture in the entire country. So it would be great to have her on. So I'm going to look into that, see if we can get her on. So again, I'm not going to read the whole article. I really want to get to the Dr. Uma interview. She just knows so much about medical marijuana, and I really went at it from the basics. So we get into a little bit more of the details, and I've already talked to Dr. Uma, and she is going to be coming back on the show to really get do a show special about opiates and the use of medical marijuana and Kratom. Has no knowledge of, of Kratom besides you know the basics. Her specialty, she's an endocannabinoid specialist. So she's going to come back on. We're going to devote a whole show to opiates. So I really want to get to that interview quickly. But a couple things that I thought were really cool in this article, they, they talk about where a tropical evergreen tree that grows wild in Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, Myanmar, I'm not saying that right, Papua New Guinea, is relative to the coffee tree. With with its native range, it has been used for centuries, at least in paragraph, in uh, in parentheses, as an herbal, herbal remedy, especially among day laborers who would chew the leaves for a mild stimulant effect. At the end of a hard day's work, people might brew the leaves into a tea, extracting different compounds reported to a calming and pain relieving effect. It is still used that way in Southeast Asia, according to Darshan Singh, a researcher at the University of Science, Malaysia's Center for Drug Research. Con contemporary Malaysian Kratom users fall into four categories, he says. Old folks practicing traditional medicine, manual laborers, people trying to get off of opiates, and people who use Kratom in lieu of other illicit drugs. Sometimes mixed with cough syrup, he knows that all categories do tend to share a gender due to social discrimination. He says kratom use among females is not widespread. So far, there have been no kratom-linked deaths to Malaysia, despite its long history of ubiquity. It is seen that kratom use has become more of an issue in the U.S. than it is 
in its local context of Southeast Asia, Singh says. In Thailand, Kratom is on the brink of total legalization, which is really great news out of Thailand. Cover that in last show. So don't we find that interesting? That the places where it grows naturally, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, that there have been no deaths besides when it comes over here to America, and then the deaths that are reported over here in America. Uh, you got past our present drug use, underlining health conditions, with, you know, other medications. Ne- never takes into effect if they're titrating down from other drugs. Other drugs are still in their system. And what's in the kratom? Because what they're not doing this very specific uh, post-mortem blood test that the New England Journal of Medicine uh, has proved that not all not all these deaths are getting this particular postmortem blood test, and when you do this uh, very particular postmortem blood test, the New England Journal of Medicine found that all the deaths uh, had other drugs in their system besides one that didn't have uh, residual blood. So then another interesting paragraph was Oliver Gunman out of University of Florida, and then Mark Swagger, Dr. Mark Swagger. It goes on, so are these so are these some 15 million Americans using opioid-adjacent killer the DEA fears. Gunman says, sees the fact that a highly purified injectable form of kratom does not exist as evidence that the DEA may have overstated its similarities to opioids or opiates. If kratom were really so powerful, why don't we see anything like that? Despite having sophisticated underground machinery that could easily come up with extraction techniques if they wanted to, Gunman says instead we see fentanyl and its derivatives contributing to the opioid crisis. Swagger concurs, as do many other scientists. Swagger concurs, as do many other scientists. The compounds in kratom require a great deal of further study to determine what exact effects they do have. But while some bind to the same chemical receptors as opioids, they do so quite differently. Kratom is triggered the same part of the brain's reward system, but in a way less addictive. In parentheses, uh, perhaps hypothetical. And then this quote from Swagger, when, when millions of people say they're using Kratom and it's helping them with conditions that are really difficult to help people with, we have to listen, Swagger says. I'm not convinced that a single death has been the result of Kratom. So, you know, overall, it's definitely not a Kratom hit piece, really fair and balanced, and if anything, it's uh, really leaning to positive. So uh, I really think that's good news. Terrible, uh, terrible title of the article, but overall, really good news. Uh, good article from Wired.com. So another good news we got from Marijuana Movement, New Vermont Bill with Decriminalized Psychedelics and Kratom. Vermont lawmakers filed a bill on Wednesday that would decriminalize three psychedelic substances as well as Kratom. Rep. Brian Cena introduced the legislation which would amend state law to carve out exemptions to the list of controlled substances, psilocybin, ayahuasca, peyote, and Kratom would no longer be regulated under the proposal. Cena told Marijuana Movement in a phone interview that he decided to pursue the policy change based on a belief that I share with many people around the world that plants are a gift from nature and they're a part of the web of life that humans are connected to. 
plants, especially plant medicine, should be accessible to people. He said use of plant medicine should be considered a health care issue, not a criminal issue. I agree with this guy. I'm actually going to follow him on Twitter because it's got his Twitter link. While it remains to be seen whether the legislator will have the appetite to pursue the policy change, the bill's introduction represents another sign that the psychedelics reform movement has momentum. Activists in around 100 cities across the U.S. are working to decriminalize a wide range of entheogenic substances, but the Vermont proposal is unique in that it's being handled legislatively at the state level. So I did think that that was really interesting. Oh, just one more thing. The text of the bill states that the four substances are commonly used for medicinal, spiritual, religious, and entheogenic purposes. So I did think it was really interesting that it's actually coming from the legislator. It's not coming because we, we do see these movements um, all around the country. I think it started with Oakland to decriminalize uh, mushrooms. And yeah, yeah, I think they're right. It does have some movement. So I'm, I'm not going to do the whole article. Uh, But one thing that was really cool about it, in quotes here, research at the John Hopkins University and other facilities around the country on on the medicinal use of psilocybin mushrooms are showing some promising results. The bill currently has three co-sponsors and has been referred to the Judiciary Committee. One of the co-sponsors, Rep. Zachariah Ralph, told Marijuana Movement that he supports the legalization of psychedelics because prohibition generally does not work and has continued to be enforced disproportionately against low-income and minority communities. Research at John Hopkins University and other facilities around the country on the medicinal use of psilocybin mushrooms are showing some promising results as a long-term treatment of depression, addiction, and anxiety, he said. This is especially important today as we deal with increased rates of suicides and drug overdoses across the nation and especially in Vermont. Another uh, really good article, really great news. So we hope to see more of these and states start, uh, and I don't want to see Kratom decriminalized. I want to, maybe if that's the first step, but I really want to see Kratom uh, completely taken off schedule so there's no penalty associated with consuming Kratom. So that's it for Kratom news and current events for this week. Big thank you again to Candid Orange Flavored Kratom for sponsoring the show. And before I get into the giveaway, uh, I do want to say that upcoming next is the interview with Dr. Uma. Awesome doctor. Uh, just awesome overall uh, person. Just a wealth of medical marijuana knowledge. I do play that disclaimer that none of my guests are medical professionals. In this case, Dr. Uma is a medical professional, but it's very important that she's not giving medical advice and nothing she says that should be uh, considered medical advice and always seek the advice of a physician before doing anything. And now is the time we're going to give away orange flavored kratom candid orange flavored kratom to two lucky people i decided that the first one is going to be chris redding so we're going to send that out to chris uh, for being on the show this week thanks so much chris for being on the show and everything you're doing for the kratom community and the next person is going to be the first person that retweets the episode with the hashtag kratom guy show and the hashtag Candid Kratom.
This week on the show, I have a very special guest. I am super excited to have Dr. Uma uh, on the show. And I, I do have a, a large intro to go through, but I thought it was very important that I lay out the, the whole intro so we actually know who we're dealing with. Um, so, Dr. Uh, Donna Bala, also known as Dr. Uma, she is a highly respected and educated physician. In my opinion, she played and continues to play a major part in cannabis reform. For more info on Dr. Uma, or if you are in Massachusetts interested in becoming a medical marijuana patient, uh, definitely go to their website, totalhealthcarethc.com. Dr. Uma completed her Bachelor of Arts degree with high honors from Rutgers University and medical degree from the University of Medicine and Dentistry in Newark, New Jersey. She completed her family practice residency at uh, Medical University of South Carolina in Charlestown. Um, she has her master's in public health and completed her occupational and environmental medicine residency in, and fellowship in heavy metals at Harvard School of Public Health in Boston. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians. She is also certified by the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine as a cannabinoid medicine specialist and by the Medical Review Officer uh, Certification Council as a Medical Review Officer as well. She is Founder CEO of Global Health and Hygiene Solutions LLC established in 2006 with a mission to promote wellness and prevent illness. She worked with uh, she worked for Kimberly Clark as regional medical director for Asia Pacific. She worked for the Hanford site in Richland, Washington, which is the largest and most complex cleanup projects in the world, where plutonium was manufactured for the first nuclear bomb detonated in Japan. Um, she created the model Total Healthcare (THC), where she educates, embraces, empowers patients, and promotes cannabis as treatment option at uplifting health and wellness in Natick. She's an advocate, activist, educator, speaks globally about cannabis as a plant medicine. Her mission is to change the stigma regarding cannabis and for the world to know about the endocannabinoid system uh, through education. Uh, Dr. Uma says cannabis is not for everyone, yet it should be the first line option, not the last resort. And cannabis is not an entrance drug, it is the exit drug from pharmaceuticals, narcotics, alcohol, and nicotine. Cannabis, the exit drug. Uh, Dr. Uma, I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Mike, I thank you, and it's been such a pleasure to know you and to enjoy this journey as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, if you want to go over, I know that was a large intro, um, but I thought it was important. If you want to go over anything to kind of tell, you know, a little intro about yourself and anything that you want to promote right off the bat. The most important thing is that there's still a lot of misinformation or no information that people think. And what we want people to understand is that cannabis is now legal in over 30 states and we've got 11 states that have actually have adult use and we are in the state of Massachusetts where we have both a medical and a adult use population and I also certify for New Hampshire and I'm licensed in Connecticut and also in the state of Washington 
and my population in my clinic, my youngest right now is six, and my oldest is 98. Uh-huh. And I think this is such an opportunity for um, people to understand that they do have a choice, especially with this opioid epidemic that has touched people's lives in some way, shape, or form. So my journey really began, even you list off a, you read off a list of all of the accomplishments that I've gone through, and I've probably spent more years than the average doctor that's out there, and yet, I never ever learned about a system known as the endocannabinoid system. And I got involved in learning about it. It's now almost over 10 years. And I was involved mainly because I lost my mother. And that's when I started to write recommendations for medical marijuana. And this is actually the anniversary we just celebrated seven years. I think the first day that I started writing was July 20th of 2012 Uh and my mission now is to make sure that people at least know that the truth about cannabis and understand that this is a very political issue it is about racism it's about all the things that we really don't want to talk about or even think about but it is real and as a physician we're bombarded and bombarded with being told, well, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? And when I ask people, what part of zero deaths is not evidence? Like nobody, nobody in the whole world has ever died from overconsumption of this plant. Isn't everybody curious? Isn't everybody want to know? why or why isn't this plant being used or why did it go into this prohibition and what is the stigma behind this plant that's why I do what I do because I am a very curious person and as a physician I think I have not only the patients that I've dealt with but my experience and first handed to be able to tell patients right now, um, this is my experience, and for our patients now to be actually the educators uh, for our healthcare providers, that's what's really important. And what, what do you mean by, by that? What, what's really important is that I didn't really know enough about this, nor did I have any kind of incentive to learn about this because cannabis is still in Schedule 1. Right. And it's still federally illegal, so why should a doctor learn about something that they're not going to get reimbursed for, nor is it that something that is supported by their environment, i.e. the hospital, the university, the insurance companies. Nobody's saying, you know, Mike, go learn about this, or the insurance companies telling me to learn about it, but meanwhile, pharmaceutical companies are making sure that every doctor understands about the latest pill or the latest thing that they learn about. And meanwhile, a system that's 600 million years old has not been taught to every healthcare provider and every individual out there. We know that we have a digestive system. We know that there's a reproductive system. We know that there's a respiratory system. There's all of these other systems we know about. Why 
have we not been taught about the endocannabinoid system? Yeah, it's really astonishing to me that there's, through all the medical training, how very little training there is on diet, and then that there's no training on the endocannabinoid system. Oh, you're now hitting about a whole nother conversation. <laughs> We've been blatantly lied to. We've been blatantly lied to as to our diet, you know, what to consume. Don't eat this, don't eat this, make sure you eat this. And we're told about before how bad eggs were and avoid them. And at the end of the day, if the principle that I'm trying to teach everybody out there is know where your source of your product is. If it's the food that you eat, if it's the cannabis that you consume, if it's anything that we put on our bodies or within our bodies, we should know how was that process. So as far as eggs, a simple thing as eggs, how was that chicken raised? What was it fed? Was it free range? Was it given antibiotics? Was it fed corn? Because now we know corn is very inflammatory. Corn is what we're giving our cows. The cows are now inflamed. And then we eat the beef that's corn fed. And this is why looking for grass fed, looking for non-GMO, these are the things that we want our customers and our consumers to be asking for and looking for. And if we don't, we are creating the illnesses that we are seeing not only in the United States, globally. And the more and more I learn about the endocannabinoid system, I understand that this system is for us to be a balance. And we have not been balance since cannabis has been put into prohibition. And that's what's blatantly the truth to me. You look at the data, you look and see that cannabis was prescribed, was part of our food chain, and was available to us. And because of racism and politics, we put this plant into prohibition. And it's been there since 1937 and then in addition we put it into a schedule of drugs in 1970 making it federally illegal as an option for medications when it was prescribed and was used in this country from 1850 to 1942 it's yeah it's unreal so yeah we'll get into some more of that in just a little bit with the endocannabinoid system and uh, the prohibition. My Usually one of my first questions is, um, I usually ask about how you got into Kratom. But since you are um, a specialty, you have your specialty in medical cannabis, maybe you could tell me what is, what is your experience with Kratom, how you got into medicine, and uh, more specifically, cannabis. I know you said with your, mo- with your mother, um, but anything else on, on that subject? Yes. So my, as far as the Kratom goes, there are patients of mine that have used Kratom for addiction purposes, that have had a history of addiction and have benefited from it, but I really, uh, in any way, really can't comment too much about Kratom. I am really open to learning much more, and there's so much more when it comes to 
of phytocannabinoids and plants in general that we need to learn about. In regards to the cannabis, since I call it the exit drug, this is where Kratom plays a role because if people can use that in conjunction with uh, cannabis to help them improve their quality of life, great is what we want to learn more about it and to see does it affect them in any way negatively or positively uh, to improve their quality of life and maybe even to help them to refrain from ever going back to the drug that caused their addiction to begin with. Right. Um, the, the next thing is that in regards to me, um, I came from a system where I worked for a healthcare system. I worked for corporations. We saw patients. We made a diagnosis. We provided a code. It was submitted to an insurance company. The patient was then um, covered for their treatment that they received from me. And they paid a co-payment in some cases, or they paid a monthly fee into their insurance company. Or if you work for an employer, the employer provided your health care, and you had your medicine paid for by an insurance company. So there's a thing called a system. And the system is out there. And what I've done is taken many pieces out of the system and said, well, I'm not supporting just writing out pills anymore. I'm not here to write those pills out. You're already on those pills. And so now my whole perspective has been, let's look at harm reduction. That's the key here is this is about harm reduction and saying we were prescribing opioids, we were prescribing all these pills and they're still out there, but they're causing problems. And there is no exit plan in when we're going to get these people off these pills. There isn't any. We just keep increasing and increasing. We're trying to get them at a point where they're maintaining on pills for life. So my approach has been, how can we use a plant that works with our system? And what we're learning is that people are deficient in cannabinoids. And if we can just get a depleted person cannabinoid supplements, the ailments that they were struggling with are resolved or maintained without these other pills. So that's why we are looking at chronic conditions, pain, lupus, MS, glaucoma, PTS, anxiety, depression, people with cancers, people with autism, the younger groups. And I also see patients that I know that are going to die. So mm. palliative care. And I have patients that actually use this to even get pregnant. So the scope of how this medicine is used for is from helping people get birth, getting pregnant, to helping them die. Mm. So that's the spectrum of how this plant can be used and how I look at cannabinoid medicine. The, the stigma um, has been around for, uh, yeah, uh, since they scheduled it, since the 70s, and uh, even before that with Prohibition. My, what, what I'm really curious about is, have you seen, like, 
what has been the, the reaction from fellow doctors and the medical commu community um, from a while ago, from when you started to get into medical marijuana, and to now? Has there been a change, um, a lot of stigma, anything like that? Uh, I feel there's been a change in me. I start always with myself and how I felt when I started to write recommendations. And I'm a Harvard grad and I have all these degrees and I would say I'm a family physician, I'm an occupational medicine physician and I'm even an MRO, but I would not say, oh, and then I mutter, oh, cannabinoid medicine, you know? Cannabis, mm -hmm. but I write recommendations. Like I wouldn't even want to talk about it because I didn't feel comfortable, you know? And now, I'm, I'm completely 180 in the sense I say, I'm a cannabinoid medicine specialist, and I'm proud to say I haven't written an opioid in a decade. And I'd like to know how many doctors can say that today. Yeah, that's so awesome. that has empowered me, number one. And my colleagues, they called me names, and they've reminded me that I am still facing racism, and I'm still facing a political environment. They called me a zealot, it reminded me that I'm not white, that I'm not a man, and even gone to the extent of saying they're not Jewish. No. I mean, these are the kind of things that people have blatantly said to me in this day and age, and from my colleague, Treasurer Massachusetts, which is very saddening at times. Yet, I can boldly say I am a very happy physician. I'm proud to be doing what I'm doing, and I'm proud that my patients are able to educate them now. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're both of us are going to be on, on the right side of, of history, for doing, doing the right thing. It is, and you know, at the end of the day, I try to explain to people, you know, no matter who you are, or where you are, or what you are, we all have an expiration date. We're all going to die one day. And why not at least be able to die with dignity and to be able to have a way that when you do know somebody's going to die, to at least say, I gave them the best quality of life. And, and have an option where they can be alert. I mean, most of the people when they die are on morphine trips and just not even leashes. And for somebody to watch somebody die, that's no joy either. But if you can have somebody at least to be able to have a smile on their face or to know that they died with less pain and to be able to interact with their family and friends in a little better way, why not is my question. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, harm reduction and then quality of life. Um, so what and, and it's a safe. It's safe. It's a safe alternative. Right. It's not just harm reduction. This is about so many drugs that you have to be on. You have to then be on another drug because you get a side effect from it. And then you have to be on another pill that too much of it can and will kill you. And never mind alcohol that is so available, readily available to our society. And people socialize with it. And it's, you know, the doctor will say, well, how many drinks? But really, the clear message is not being told by my colleagues out there, do not mix alcohol with these medicines, period. Alcohol is a depressant. There's 
I tell my patients, you have no damn business mixing alcohol with the meds that you're on. Just as simple as that. Yeah. Make it easy for them. It's, it's, it's deadly. It's, uh, it's served everywhere. It is. And, they, and look at our society. Our society revolves around a television show where people watch sports and alcohol commercials. Right? The joy of a game is celebrated by a cork that's popped. You know? Everything is around this christening. Uh, they serve alcohol. A wedding serves alcohol. Anything, a barbecue, anything that we interact, there seems to be, I go to a medical meeting, a networking meeting. And so it's, it's, it's held at a bar. There's alcohol vouchers given to you. This is how we socialize in our society. And then, and then I get the weird looks when I say I don't want to have a drink. Right, and you know, this is where... Um, you go to a restaurant after they've ordered served, they say, can I get you something to drink other than water? Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's just a knee-jerk reflex that alcohol has been accepted in our society. And the same man that fought for prohibition of alcohol is the one that fought for prohibition of cannabis. Like, are we just putting everything in the same category? Alcohol and cannabis should not be in the same category alcohol, there is no alcohol deficiency. There is no concept that we need alcohol to survive. But the bad gone well is established that we do need endocannabinoids to survive in our body. It's a crucial part of every system. Yeah, and that's something I definitely want to get into. Um, but before we get into endocannabinoid system, uh, a lot of people contact me and they know little to little to nothing about either kratom or cannabis. Um, and now when I I've been trying to be conscious of this, when I refer to cannabis, I call it cannabis rather than marijuana. Um, now, could we go over some of the some of the basics of somebody for a, a newbie that uh, doesn't know the difference between cannabis, marijuana, hemp, THC, or CBD? Um, you know, what's the differences? Sure. So let's start out by just kind of defining what cannabis is. So cannabis is a plant, and this plant has been around. It's probably one of the oldest. They think it's probably one of the first agricultural crops. It makes it over 12,000 years old. And the plant, when we first learned about it in, in India, it was part of the Ayurveda. Um, Ayurvedic medicine and it was considered a sacred plant and today we know that the plant has over a thousand different components in it, it has cannabinoids in it, it has terpenoids in it, it has flavonoids in it it has fatty acids and we've identified over 140 different cannabinoids and you mentioned THC so if we look at a spectrum as being I like to use the word intoxicating versus non-intoxicating. And this is where, again, terminology. A lot of people will refer to THC as being psychoactive and mm. CBD as being non-psychoactive, okay? And I like to use the word CBD as being non-intoxicating, if you look at a spectrum on, all the way on the right, and then THC being all the way on the left as being 
the most intoxicating. And what we've learned is that um, we have three species in this plant. In the genus Cannabis sativa, when they first discovered it, they didn't know that there was different species. So that's why we call it Cannabis sativa, Cannabis indica, and Cannabis ruta hour are the three species that we've identified. But the two biggies that people come across are sativa and indica. And most plants are a hybrid between the sativas and the indicas. So that's talking about species. We've talked about cannabinoids, THC and CBD, and that there's a whole slew of them. And as far as talking about um, the components as far as hemp and marijuana, it's all cannabis. It's all cannabis sativa. The difference between hemp and marijuana is what the percentage of THC is. Cannabis sativa plant has less than 0.03% THC. We classify that as hemp. If it's got more than 5%, we classify that as marijuana. But it's all cannabis. So that's what we want people to understand. Okay, thank you um, so much for that intro. Um, now, whenever I come to the office, I always get the, the same rules given to me of using medical medical cannabis. Do you want to go over Dr. Uma's rules for using uh, medical cannabis? Absolutely. Because I consider cannabis as a supplement, you know, as food to your body. So I look at this as service. We really don't talk ever about dose in my office. We use the word titrate when we talk about cannabis. And the three rules that we always say, Dr. Uma says, is rule number one is hydrate before you medicate. Why? Because the side effects of cannabis are dry mouth, dry throat. It can make you feel panicky. It can make you feel anxious. So always making sure you're hydrated is very important. And this is really important regardless of using cannabis or not, but especially if you're going to use cannabis, rule number one. Rule number two, you're going to always make sure that you start out just a little bit at a time. Very little. So low or very low and slowly you're going to titrate up or down and make sure that you have food on board. Because if you don't have food on board, you can get hypoglycemic. And if anybody's ever felt like they've never not eaten and how they feel, that's how you're going to feel. So this is why making sure that you have food on board when you use cannabis. And then rule number three is the most most important because this is all about you. It's all about you and how it makes you feel and how you use it for your effects that you need it for and for your symptoms that you're treating. So journaling is the rule number three. So let's reiterate the three rules. Rule number one is high sleep before you medicate. Rule number two is you're going to start out low or very low and slow with food and rule number three is that you're going to journal. Great. Um, yeah, I recommend the, the, the same thing to people that are just starting out Kratom. Um, pretty much those, those same rules. Um, so it definitely has helped me out and I, I've been trying to stay way more way more hydrated anyways because I, I realize I haven't been drinking enough enough water and 
through seeing you. Uh, you talked about how it's kind of like jelly that are made up of uh, fat and water in between in between the vertebrae. So I've been trying to trying to stay hydrated. Yes, and I love that you remembered that because um, I always try to use analogies that people can visualize and then be able to remember it because I've struggled with my own learning issues and so I try to make it as simple as possible. And somehow jelly donuts kind of give everybody a visual that you've got a jelly in, inside in the center and you've got the donuts on both sides of it. So. If somebody were to squeeze out all the jelly, you'd be left with the donut alone. So this is why hydration is very important in making sure that your joints are well lubricated, that the discs that are part of our spinal column are well hydrated. And I use the analogy also of beef jerky, that you know, beef was a nice, supple, succulent, juicy piece of meat, and we dehydrate it and we make it into beef jerky. So again, why do people shrink over time? Why is there degenerative changes? And ultimately, people just don't drink enough. And people just shovel other stuff in their mouth when if they just hydrated, they would not be just shoveling extra calories. And then when they shove the extra calories in their mouth, they're gaining weight and they don't realize that even 100 extra calories a day or, you know, 700 calories in a week. And before you know it, in a year, you could be gaining 10 pounds. And so this is where small changes, uh, small changes make the impact in the longer run. Yeah, I think it gets hard, especially with diet, because it's it's those incremental changes that you're you're not really going to see immediately, either positively or negatively, um, for for a little while. And this is the thing, you know, this is where small changes, you know, when when somebody gets into a bad habit or a good habit, uh, it can make make a world of difference. And and this is what I tell people: like this is about you. The same way we help them to get off their meds also. And I follow them up and we actually make small changes. And this is where, uh, you know, I go through the ABCDE with my patients and say this is increments that you can make. And if people have been on, you know, 500 milligrams every day of something and we say, you know, you, you, our goal is to get to zero eventually on that med, you can't just abruptly stop it. So it's working with these patients in understanding this concept of titration, not just with the use of cannabis, but also titration and how they got them so jacked up on these meds and how it's going to take uh, tapering down to get them off their meds. Right. Um, now, when we go into the use of cannabis, a lot of people are, are afraid of um, smoking. Is there... A- do you want to go over the, the different ways uh, of, of use? Oh, I'm glad you, you brought up two things. You already brought up the concept that everybody's scared of smoking and also about delivery system. So let's answer the question about the fear of smoking. So the fear of smoking, a lot of people relate to smoking the same, again, tobacco and cannabis because of the mere fact that we're inhaling something. So to back up a little bit in history, a lot of people don't remember that we didn't have inhalers 
way. The God is today, when we think of people with asthma, people with COPD, with breathing problems, that's what they're using. They're using an inhaler to breathe in. Well, back in the 1800s, 1850s, we had asthma cigarettes. Hmm. Yeah, asthma cigarettes. The cigarettes can have tobacco in it. They had cannabis in it. And yes, asthma cigarettes. Because what is asthma? Asthma is a reactive airway disease. Somebody has a reaction to something, the body's first thing is it inflames. It's trying to bring whatever's in our body out. It's trying to get rid of it. And so the mucus is trying to cough it out. You're trying to get it out. But we're not able to. And that's why when you inhale cannabis, it is bronchodilating you. It's also a vasodilator. It's anti-inflammatory. So that's the mechanisms that how it's working. And people have to understand that. And that's how the same way an inhaler works. Now, the cannabis versus tobacco cigarettes is that it's all the different additives in it. And that's absolutely a concern that I have with cannabis today. That how is it being produced? How is it being grown? Are they using pesticides? Are they using chemicals that are not being checked for? Are there heavy metals? Because that's a major concern, not only being that that's my background, but we clearly know that heavy metal toxicity can be not only detrimental, but deadly. So these are the concerns that I have that people have to understand. So we can't just say, don't smoke cannabis. Make sure that the cannabis is clean. And then there was also a study just for people to look up if they really want to understand that this has been looked at. Dr. Donald Tashkin has looked at four groups of people. And he's a pulmonologist at UCLA. And they looked at people that smoked nothing. People that smoked tobacco. People that smoked cannabis. And people that did both tobacco and cannabis. And they followed them and saw what was the end result of this on people as far as lung cancer. And lo and behold, the people that smoked cannabis had less lung cancer than people that smoked nothing. Wow. Curiosity, right? Why? How? So then they looked at the other two groups. People that smoke tobacco and tobacco and cannabis. And lo and behold, people that smoke tobacco and cannabis had less lung cancer than people that smoke tobacco or lung. So it's a protective effect. And absolutely the fear will be there, but this is where understanding the facts and really knowing what research has been done. And let's share the correct information, not just make that stuff as we go along. Right. It sounds like there has been some research, um, which, yeah, I heard that UCLA study, it was commissioned by DEA, and they were trying to prove that it caused cancer. Do I have that right? Absolutely. So that's a very interesting thing that you bring up, you know. Because cannabis is in Schedule 1, this is where you need to get approval 
from the DEA, the FDA, you need all of these organizations in order to be able to do research on the plant. And because if you're trying to show the negative effects of it, they're able to support it. But they start these studies to show the negative effects, and as soon as they show, oh, guess what, cannabis helps with this, and cannabis helps with this, and it does not cause the cancers, and it does not cause increase in cancers because you use it, they don't want to share it. Right, pretty unreal. So, and then uh, any, so there's, there's smoking, and then, um... And, the and delivery then, system. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So we talk about inhalation, we talk about ingestion, we talk about topicals, we talk about other methods. Let's start with the others, and then we'll work backwards. So the other methods are suppositories. So those suppositories can be inserted in the vagina, inside the rectum, and I'm even using the belly button as a delivery system and under the tongue. So these are all ways of getting the medicine in you without having to have it be eaten or inhaled. And each of these delivery systems have a really good bioavailability. So when you put it right in the vagina, it's right there, especially with vaginal dryness, with women that have had cancers or any kind of things, even preventative. Rectal for men and women, it's great for any kind of rectal issues, constipation for men with prostate issues, incontinence. These are all the ways of how to get it into your system. And also, it's a way of getting the reaction into you much quicker. Because when you put it up the butt, it's absorbed through the gut, through the lining, and it goes right into the bloodstream without having to wait for it to be metabolized by the liver. So that's a very important factor. The other thing is um, babies. When you're feeling nauseous, when you're having a seizure, you can't take anything by mouth. So this becomes a very easy delivery system. And I look at the mouth and the anus as perfectly wonderful orifices to use. So how can, and talk about it openly. Now, moving on to, any questions on that, Michael? So is there, if somebody want, if somebody just had cannabis flower and they wanted to make a suppository, is there a way you would tell them to make it at home? Or is that something you need to get at the dispensary? There's that's interesting you mentioned that too. The dispensary, depending on the dispensary, some of them have it. And some of our patients have been trained how to make their own suppositories as well. There's, you know, in this age, day and age of all of the videos, there's so much out there. But the patients also, this is where safety first, do no harm. This is Dr. Uma's important rule that we say. So making sure that whatever they produce, that it is clean, because if they start inserting it into orifices and they get absorbed quicker, they can have negative effects quicker than later effects. So um, making sure that if they want to learn how to make it, they can make the tinctures. Some people even mix it with coconut oil and they make their own suppositories. They put it in ice cube trays. They put it in different kinds of straws and then cut it up. They, they're very creative. Hmm. There's also molds out there these capsules that can be made and then the capsules are frozen and then they pop open the capsule which can be inserted you know in the mouth in the vagina in the rectum into the belly button and so yes there's a 
whole array of mediums as well, coconut oils, avocado oils, different types of um, ways that they're using glycerin. Um, they're taking the suppositories that are out there themselves and recreating them so that they're using things that have been already tested as well. So coming to inhalation, now when we talk about inhalation, we can talk about straight up smoking, which means that we're actually burning something, combusting it, and we are taking it in. And yes, when you're combusting, there's much more air in, so absolutely that can cause a cough, and that is a very common side effect from any type of inhalation, even if we vaporize it. And we can vaporize it, and people can vaporize this in forms of liquids. Now, these liquids can be CO2 extraction, they can be butane extraction, they can be alcohol extraction. It depends on how things are being extracted, because that's what's going to give you the form of how you use it. Some of them can be used in, in, in a pipe, some of them can be used in a joint where they can roll the flour, mix it in with it. Some of these can be vaporized in apparatuses that are that look like bonds, that look like different cartridges that are being used, uh, sort of like they, they, I don't want to promote any product, but these, these things that kids are using, these jewels, these kind of uh, cartridges that are out there, people are finding those kind of cartridges. So there's a whole array of ways of how once they process the product, it can be packaged to be consumed by inhalation. And inhalation is one of the first go-tos that I really like because it's one of those things that they can take one puff of something and if they learn how to take it properly, not inhale it and hold it, uh, you know, if they can start, like my my patients will come in and they'll say, oh, Dr. Mai, I don't want to be high, I don't want to smoke it. And then they'll come back in three months and they'll say, I have a pipe because they find that to be very easy. They can just put a little bit at a time, they can light it, they can handle it. And sometimes it's difficult for people that can't do all of those things or even have a problem holding things or they're shaking their choke. This is where these vaporizers and these cartridges are helpful. And also, inhalation is a very quick onset and the duration is short acting. So that's a bioavailability type of thing. So they can kind of say, hey, I want to just have something or I want to see how I feel when I consume it. This is a very good starting point. Ingestion Coming to ingestion, now we talk about another set of uh, a delivery system, but then you've got different pieces. So if you talk about eating something versus putting it under the tongue, that's sublingual. And that's where we talked about other because there's a big blood flow. But if you eat it and actually swallow it, and you take it in, let's say, a form of a capsule or a cookie or gummy bear or what other ways that you can consume it in food, you now have to swallow it, which means you have to eat it, digest it. And there's people that don't have the proper salivary glands, people that don't have teeth. And the, their digestion and how it gets absorbed into your body can be very different. Then once it gets into the gut, if their stomach doesn't absorb properly, if they're taking medications like H2 blockers, if they're taking other medicines for anxiety medicines, if they're taking meds for cholesterol, taking, all of these meds can interact in the gut. Then they got, it has to go to the liver, where, again, liver metabolism. And this is where Vitacom P450 
This is a whole way of how the cytochrome P450 works with things that are brought into our body. And cytochrome 450 works with medications that are not just cannabis, a whole slew of them. And this is why it's important to make sure people understand what meds they're taking and how it interacts with the cytochrome P450 and also how they can interact with cannabis. That would be really great info for um, a lot of people that they're, they're interested in using medical cannabis, but they don't even know where to start. Um, so, yeah, really thank you for that. Now, when 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 generally when I hear people talking about um, medical cannabis, especially when it comes to cancer, is that it's, it's not going to fight the cancer, but it's good for, like, the pain and the chemo side effects. But the research, especially coming out of Israel, is, is showing a completely different picture. And essentially, like you mentioned, all living things have this internal endocannabinoid system, and that the cannabinoids found in cannabis actually help to not only regulate that system, but when it comes to cancer, it can it's found to be anti-tumoral, anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, and actually allows the, the cells to uh, create apoptosis, dying off, creating new healthy cells in its place. Um, so now can can we can we talk can we dive into a little bit the endocannabinoid system phytocannabinoids apoptosis all of that yes yeah so um i just wanted to uh, put this one piece in before we forget in regards to edibles edibles are great for a longer lasting effect and they have a later effect so that's the other thing that i wanted to make sure that people understand that when you inhale, it's a quick onset, short duration, edibles, later onset, longer duration. Okay, I just wanted to put that in there. Now, now we'll move on to the cancer piece. The cancer piece, what's important is understanding, you hit it on the head to begin with. You said that when people originally thought about cannabis, they thought about it as, a, as an option for the side effects from what people went through for the treatment of cancer i.e. the nausea, the, you know, the loss of appetite, not being able to hold things down, all of those. But what we realize and what we've seen is that it actually can be any treatment. And it can also, I believe, a role of preventing and, and having cancers not reoccur again. So patients that have had cancer to make sure that the cancer never ever reoccurs in any way, shape, or form, either where it started or somewhere else. So let's talk about the four very specific properties in how cannabis works with cancer. So the first thing that it does is it works on the cancer cells and not the healthy cells. So that's one of the important things that we have to understand versus when we treat for cancer, we the treatment options that we have, chemotherapy, radiation, antibiotics, immunotherapy, steroids, or rocking parts of the body are not just specific to just that, the cancer cell alone. It affects also the healthy cell. Mm-hmm. But when we use cannabis with cancer, it's specifically targeting the healthy, not the healthy cell, but targeting to make sure that the impact is on that cancer cell. I want to make that clear targeting cancer cells and not the healthy cells. It's protecting them. 
So it affects on the cancer cells in four very specific ways. Number one, it does not let the cancer cells multiply and cause proliferation. Number two, does not let the cancer cells spread anti-metastatic. Number three, does not allow continued blood supply to the cancer cell. Cuts it off. Anti-agenesis. Number four, it says you need to die. Apoptosis. Cells death. And so to reiterate the four properties, it's anti-proliferation, anti-metastatic, anti-agenesis, and apoptosis. And specifically working on the cancer cell. Well, yeah, it's uh, not a lot of people understand that. It's uh, super interesting to me. It is, and this is why I'm very adamant when I say that cannabis is not for everyone. Yet, when we hear the word cannabis, I believe it should be a first line option. It should be part of that. You make a diagnosis and you say you've got cancer, and, and cannabis should be included in your treatment protocol. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, so, I, I remember seeing, I went to a Museum of Science and they were talking about um, it was uh, using uh, cannabis to fight cancer. That was the, the talk. And um, I forget her name, Bonnie Goldstein, I want to say. Um, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. She, she was talking about how the endocannabinoid system, how. I don't know if it's nerves or you can definitely tell me um, that they were they used to think that it was uh, one-way signals but it's actually they're they're talking to each other and when these signals get messed up that's when the endocannabinoid system gets messed up um, so yeah if you want to talk about that and kind of okay, so, so you, you hit on something that's very important so if we want to use an analogy of an endocannabinoid system, the nervous system is pretty much the closest thing that we, we can use it for description. So the nervous system, no matter where the cells are, they produce things like the neurotransmitters. So the neurotransmitters, a lot of people are very familiar with is dopamine and serotonin. And so you're right. Things are passed from a, they're made in the presynaptic and they're released and they bind to the postsynaptic. This is how the communication is. It's sort of like a pitcher to the catcher. The pitcher has the ball, they've got the ball, they throw it to the catcher. The catcher catches it. The pitcher's got the ball, throw it. This is how the, the, what we call from presynaptic going to the postsynaptic. But the endocannabinoid system and what we learned is very, very unique. What's unique is that instead of if we keep using the analogy of the pitcher throwing it to the catcher, imagine that the catcher is the one that's actually making the balls and throwing it to the pitcher. And by doing that, there's a balance. And that's what's really interesting, that the post-synaptic in this case is where the endocannabinoids are being produced and they're being released and they bind to the pre. So can you get a visual of that? It's sort of like going in one direction, mm -hmm. a half semicircle from the top to the bottom, and then going from the bottom of the circle to the top of the circle in the opposite direction. So that's what it's constantly doing, is trying to keep a balance of homeostasis. And 
Dr. DiMaggio explains the homeless cases in five words, and I use it as my mantra, is that the endocannabinoid system is meant for us to relax, eat, sleep, forget, and protect. And so if any one of those things are not at ease, I say they're at this ease. And this is where we talked about illnesses, inflammation. Because if you've got inflammation on the skin, it's dermatitis. If you've got inflammation in the joint, it's arthritis. And that's the illnesses or the diseases as we label it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. In your practice, you, you talk a lot about inflammation. And then recently I was in there, I was telling you that I've been exercising more um, and that um, trying to eat right. And then neither one of us have affiliation with this, but that you recommended that I watch uh, Magic Pill. Um, and I did. And since, since then, I've been we've been eating pretty much a organic, um, non-GMO, keto diet. So this also kind of goes into, you also, I hear you say often that the body is one and to treat it all is one. And I found this out the hard way a couple of weeks ago. I have what I think was a herniated disc. It's like the most pain that I've had in a long time and it went all the way down through my lower back, my butt, my thighs. Um, and I started looking it up and it was all these different stretches that was in different areas, like different areas of my leg or my back, like that, that weren't hurting, but I started doing them and I started feeling, feeling a lot better. Um, so maybe we could talk about, uh, treating the body as a whole, how everything kind of ties in together and the, the, the big deal with changing to a keto, uh, high, high protein, high fat, low carb diet. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what people have to understand that the key is inflammation. If, if we can send the message that whatever you do to irritate your body in some way, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, it affects us, right? And if we all set it in any one way, it's gonna have a domino effect. And at the same time, if we do the positive things, it also has a positive domino effect. So by learning, and this is the key part, learning, learning what to look for. My son has been an avid pusher of me to learn to read the labels. He says, mom, did you read the label? Did you pick it? Look at the label. Did you pick up the food? Did you see that it's not organic? Did you see that it, this does not have a non-GMO label on it or a sticker that says that. Because that's the thing that we're trying to make people understand is that you need to become an educated customer. And you are a consumer. And somebody said this, and I remember this young man saying this, not all consumers become customers. And this is why we, as individuals, need to understand, okay, I'm going to put this food in my body. What's the reaction going to be? I'm going to do this to my body. What's the reaction going to be? Not just today, tomorrow. And you mentioned about doing the stretches because everything is connected, but it starts with what we put in our body. And our gut is connected to our brain. If our gut is not healthy and if our gut does not absorb properly the nutrition, then our mind cannot work. If our mind can't work, it will offset everything else. 
And this is why nutrition, we were lied to. We were told, you know, less of this, eat more of the greens, eat more of this. Well, what we're realizing is that the greens, especially with people suffering with celiac disease and gut issues, they're suffering. Their gut is inflamed. They're bloated. They're in pain. They're, they're having diarrhea or constipation because they're not at balance homeostasis. So understanding that exercise, doing it properly, and this is another thing that my son says, it's not doing more, it's doing it properly, being conscious of how you move, how does it impact you, and start out low and slow, small things, and say, hey, you know, if I can do five of these today, and I do 10 tomorrow, or maybe even say seven, and progress along that way. Mm -hmm. But the whole body is about inflammation. That's the big key message. I know we, we both talk about non-GMO and organic. Uh, one of the main reasons that I eat non-GMO organic is because of the glyphosate. And glyphosate is classified as a GMO right now. So at least if I know that if I get non-GMO that it's going to be uh, most likely not sprayed with some garbage, uh, cancer-causing exactly. garbage. But is there any other reason that people should be really going to non-GMO and organic? Exactly. Well, let's, let's look at this. So I, I look at um, how we're getting things. If something has been processed several times over, my father used to use this analogy of decaffeination. Like why that you should, you're better off just drinking caffeine rather than decaffeinated because you're using the chemical on that to remove the caffeine. But what if you don't wash that off properly? Now that contamination is on there. And in the case of concentrating things, if let's say something was, you know, if in a larger thing, it was a hundred to one particulate. But now that you concentrate it, it becomes one to one. That means the concentration is so high, and at that level, it can become toxic. And those are the kind of things that I'm really concerned about, especially not just with foods, but more so with cannabis because we are concentrating it and making it into all these other products. So looking to see if you can be the grower, then you'll know what you put in it. If you know who your grower is and you know that they're doing things right, then that's one better. But also getting things tested and making sure that, first of all, is the testing accurate? Can the test measure all those things? And if so, how is it changing? Has there been a change in it? Right. Um... Now, I, I know I mentioned to you last time I was in, in your office that I, I said that my fiancé and uh, friends and family noticed a, a big transformation uh, of me since I've been off the Suboxone and Buprenorphine. Can you let us know about uh, what you know about these medications and blocking those receptors? Mm -hmm. So, let's talk about that. So, right now, um, as far as the medical assistant treatment program, cannabis is not even listed as that. So Suboxone, Subutex, and Naltrexone, uh, these are the options that they're giving people. And all of these things, too much of them can be toxic and they can affect our organ systems. So these are the concerns. 
in many, many cases, when they start these patients on this, there really is no exit plan, as I call, on how you're going to taper them down. Right, yeah, there, there wasn't. Once you, yeah. it was, you know, and the, 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 the doctors that prescribed that, you know, the suboxone, they, they don't ever talk about, well, when are we going to get you off of this, Mike? Right. Yeah, it's absolutely true. They, they, they never did. They won't. And that's what my biggest concern is. And so what I want people to look at, and I want Massachusetts to start, is to look at my data. To look and say, hey, Dr. Lewis, how come the patients that are coming to you are able to get off of this? What are you doing? And ask. And just say, this is a valid option. And why isn't this being covered by the insurance company? Yeah, it, it definitely definitely should be. Um, I do have like so many more questions for you, but we are running out of time. I, I, I think we could continue this for another thing, but I think we've hit on a lot of different topics, and and I'd love to have the responses back from people and more questions, and we'll definitely keep this dialogue going. Great. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on. Is there anything you wanna you wanna plug or, or promote before you go? Um, absolutely. The main thing is our website is upliftinghealthandwellness.com or totalhealthcarethc.com the three words educate embrace and empower and my mission is to promote wellness and prevent illness global health and hygiene solutions look at our website and we will keep you up to date and welcome them to our patient caregiver support group meetings uh, yeah, that's true. Dr. Uma also has that patient support group, so if you want more information on any of that, definitely go check out the, the two websites. Uh, one more time, what are the two websites? They're all the same. It's TotalHealthCareTHC or UpliftingHealthAndWellness.com. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely uh, would love to have you on again. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, folks, that about does it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Kratom Guy Show. I want to say big thank you to, of course, you, the listener, and everyone who's been purchasing Kratom, supporting the show. You can find us on Twitter at Kratom Guy Show. We got the Patreon up, Kratom Guy Show. Big thanks to our guest, Dr. Uma. Dr. Uma for coming on the show. I uh, can't thank her enough for taking the time to uh, to talk to us uh, what, a, what an awesome interview I thought that was. And big thanks to Chris Redding for coming on the show, for going and testifying in Maryland, and then coming on to fill us in about um, what it was like to testify there. Big thank you to Candid Orange Flavored Kratom. Man, I never thought that I would get a sponsor so fast and from such a great company i can't say enough good things about candid orange flavored kratom if you don't see it in the store definitely ask your favorite retailer to add it to their inventory it truly is just a a real simple great tasting uh easy way to consume kratom and you can really judge how much how much you uh you want in one serving thanks so much again for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next show together we'll keep kratom legal safe and available for all peace